on today's Venue Podcast. We talk Dell acquiring EMC. We talk enterprise encryption from another email. And we also go into Security 101, how to secure all of your devices, all that and more right after this. It's time for the Venue Podcast, the show that talks lifestyle tech, data center tech, cloud tech, business tech, phone tech. You get the point. Your hosts are Josh. You know, I'll tell you, China was amazing. Phil. We're going to do stuff to the car. Oh, Don't okay. freak out. Will. One thing I do not like about the Apple Watch is the very limited set of watch faces. And the man himself, Mr. B, a.k.a. Brian. They type that password in, they're like, yeah, I'm going to get into this guy's stuff. And then they're like, oh no, crap, There's, you have to get this code. So sit back and relax and get smart. And we have a great show for you today with some great news topics. Um, and we'll jump jump right in. Uh, so first topic, Twitter lays off 8% of their employees. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. Um, sucks. Yeah, that's like 300-something. How many, how many people? It's like 360 um, people? 336 three. employees. Yeah, so this is wow. coming right after Jack Dorsey you know, came back in as CEO. So he, he's coming back in. He's laying down the hammer. Uh, yeah. One of the funniest things about this, I guess, if there's going to any, be anything funny about people getting laid off, is that they're all complaining about it. On Twitter and other people yeah. on Twitter, like other like people at like Facebook and other tech companies, are like offering them jobs and using the hashtag. Uh, was it Twitter layoffs? Yeah. So wow, very interesting to see this play out on on the social network that they were just laid off from very right. publicly, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I think that from what I read yesterday, it was done pretty uh, pretty rough. They end up actually. You know, not telling people that they were laid off and just cutting yeah. off their access. How come my email stopped working? Yeah, yeah wow. they couldn't log into email anymore. And then it was like, oh, wait, we, yeah. I got laid off. I think on the, the one of the top posts yesterday on the personal finance subreddit was like, I just got locked out of my email account. I work for Twitter, so I probably just got laid off. Mm-hmm. Wow. What should I do? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Well, Jeez. That what sucks. was the, uh, so the, there was an email. So the email from Jack Dorsey to the employees is actually publicly on Twitter now, so you can go read it. And I think. Um, just from reading it for a few seconds, it really seems like, um, you know, they're trying to restructure, trying to be more nimble. Uh, do you think this is maybe because Twitter's doing too much? I mean, there's Periscope, there's, um, let's see, other, uh, uh, not Periscope, but, well, Periscope and um, the video. Uh, Meerkat? Not Meerkat. Vine. Vine. Oh. <laughs> that maybe they're doing too much, that they kind of strayed away from their... Um, Technology of just keeping Twitter stable and maybe hiring too many people to do that other, you know, the other offerings. I don't know. It seems like Twitter's really just constantly been been under pressure to grow their user base, and I think there's a certain point in which it's just really hard to do when like mm-hmm. they've reached, you know, the capacity that they're at. And you know, everyone's kind of and pushing them to to make more money. Hey, make more money, and yeah. Well, if you lay mean, off people, you can make more money. They're right? not spending as much money. Yeah. Do you think that and this is a silly question I was thinking about from just me myself. Do you think Twitter usage is, has started to decline over the past, say, six or eight months? I don't see that at all. Okay, no, just just curious either. because I find myself tweeting less and kind of I still do, but a lot of my tweets come from like Instagram or you know other things that push to the other networks. But you're still tweeting technically, even if Instagram pushes yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, technically, you're still tweeting. yeah. No, no, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. I haven't really seen Twitter drop off in usage for me, uh, and 
they just recently added that moments feature, which yeah. I'm personally not a big fan of. But I mean, the whole reason it seems like they added that was to to push more news at people to get yeah. people talking and you know going to Twitter as their news source to compete with like Snapchat. So oh yeah, that's true. Snapchat mm-hmm. was doing that as well. Yeah. Yep. So what is Moment? I don't actually use any official apps. Yeah, it's it's just like the it, so a new tab appeared at the bottom of the Twitter client on iOS at least. I yeah. assume it's on Android too. Um, it's just called Moments, and it's constantly notifying me with a little blue circle that there's new moments for me to look at, and it's just like whatever's hot on Twitter, basically. So huh. last night it was all about, you should watch the debate on CNN and uh, whatever else was going on. I got you. So yeah, so currently it is uh, a picture of somebody putting whipped cream on dessert, and it says, <laughs> treat yeah. yourself I, to dessert. <laughs> On this blessed this day. Is why, this is why Twitter had to lay people off. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, I looked this huh. morning to try to find a way to, to to disable this tab, and I couldn't find one. So that's how, that's how important so, this is to me. You know, for me, it, it, I don't hate it. I don't. I don't dwell on what this is. I don't mind it. I don't want to disable it because I think it is kind of cool. It's just another news thing. Yeah. Um. You know, you have. I, I used to be really into Flipboard, which I still am. And then uh, Apple News. This is just kind of another another place for news. Um, is it going to last? Are they going to take it out eventually? I don't know. At what point is it too many of the same news sources? Exactly. You know? Yeah. I think and they're and trying like, to keep you on Twitter to look at news, though. Yeah. Speaking of more news. Oh. Dell. Yeah, we just handed you that one. I know. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Dell recently. When was this? Tuesday. Tuesday? Uh, this was, was Monday, so I think Monday? Monday, so Monday there was rumors, mm-hmm. and there was like, hey, we, we think this is going to happen, and then I think it was Tuesday, it happens. Dell acquired EMC in the largest technology purchase of all time. in history, yeah. Yeah, that's not, not counting telecom. So I that's think. $67 billion. It's a lot of dollars. And that's more than Dell's worth, I right? Don't, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah that's that. Yeah, you know, so Dell had to go out and get investors. Dell had to go and get funding for this. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. So yeah, what and is, what most is, people I talk to, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Most people I talk to think it's a bad thing. Hmm. That um, so Dell is a compute company, you know, and their yeah. strength is their primary strength is compute. Uh, you know, running servers. Um, you think you think Michael Dell called up EMC and said, "Dude, you are getting a Dell." <laughs> we we should so, tweet we should tweet that. That is yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm too bad I didn't think of that myself. Uh, uh, so so now Will's going to start tweeting again. You mind if I tweet that under my feed? <laughs> no, please. I'll, I'll go give ahead. you I'll give you props. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. So you have a compute company that just bought a storage company. So it's it, it would seem the marriage made in heaven. It's their Dell second already did one, storage, right? Though. Huh? It's their second storage company, right? I mean, Dell well, so so storage. Dell purchased. Yeah, Dell has purchased smaller storage companies. Equilogic. Um, I think the, the other they one that compellent. they bought. I think compellent. it's also Compellent Left. I think Left Hand. I'm not sure, but no, Left Hand is not. Um, but um, you know, I mean, if if you do that, then you can start building products that are where you have storage and compute tightly aligned. And and now the way things are going, where you have things like converged infrastructure. Um, it's kind of it's interesting. It's interesting to see what's going to happen with these two companies. Now, I also think EMC has had, and I could be wrong, but I think they've had declining sales because there's pressure from people like Nutanix, 
uh, all of the myriad of flash storage out there that's that's taking you know taking customers pure Tintree, um you know to Gile, I think um so it's kind of like eh you know they've probably had declining sales for that and EMC is becoming a, a software company in the first place I mean you look at the things that they have purchased over the last year uh it's incredible you know things from ECS which is kind of their um, cloud storage it's all software based so you don't have to have this this offering the solution running on EMC hardware you can kind of run it on anything um, so it's interesting I think it will we'll have to just kind of sit back and watch what I'm curious about is are we going to have another purchase here soon will an HP or a Cisco buy an HP or a Citrix you know because they're trying to Hmm. Isn't a big part a big part of this though is uh, the fact that EMC is the they're, they're the largest shareholder of VMware, right? They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So people are kind of wondering, you know, how is this going to affect VMware? So I think they said that EMC is going to go private alongside Dell, um, and that VMware is going to stay public. That's what I've being. read. It seems like all the all the higher ups at VMware are going to stay in place, and mm-hmm. I guess they're. I think I got an email about that earlier, actually. You did. You like, got one from um, yeah. They were like Michael trying to, trying to like, like assure everyone Joe that Tushy. VMware mm-hmm. is going to be a okay. Don't worry about us. Mm-hmm. So or Gelsinger was that was Gelsinger. Yeah. Which he used to work for EMC. Yeah. Pat Gelsinger. So, but anyway, so yeah, it's it's boy, it's it's interesting times. I would have never. I did not see this coming. And I've talked to other EMC employees, and they're like, mm-hmm. "We did not see this coming at all." Wow! I mean, they knew about it probably a week before everyone else did, because wow. rumors start flying. But they're like, "We, we," and we would not believe, we would have never believed that a little company like Dell would have bought us. And I say little company, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Relatively speaking. So, um, from a consumer side, does this affect Dell computers at all, or are they going to be no. are they going to be the same old, same old? No, I think. I think it's going to be the same old, same old. Same Maybe. old, same old? Yeah, because you're going to have people still buying your desktops and laptops and mobile and TV and all the consumer stuff. So I don't think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. What's going to change is in the enterprise and how the partnerships with EMC and Dell um, meld together and enterprise customers, what benefits or rocky roads will they be seeing um, in the future? So we'll wow. see. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so speaking of rocky roads... Um, the University of Cambridge recently found some rocky roads for Android devices when they identified that 87% are insecure. What does it mean? What do they mean by insecure, Brian? Yes, Brian. Oh, this is me. Was this your topic? Why they're insecure? Not actually. Oh, Phil. Oh, Whose topic was it? Huh. It's for all of us. It's, it's for all of us. Throw a topic <laughs> at someone and be like, "Here, you talk about this, yeah, Brian. So, you talk about the topic." So they they did some a study where they they got a group to install a device analyzer app, which is available for free on the Play Store, and they kind it kind of just like scanned for certain vulnerabilities, and uh, I guess the the. the the main takeaway is that 87% of the scans showed that, or 87% of the devices were insecure. They had uh, one of uh, at least 11, one of 11 known critical vulnerabilities. And that also included uh, Nexus phones, which 5.2 out of 10 Nexus phones, I guess round that down to five. Oh, wow. They say 5.2 out of 10 Nexus phones were had a critical vulnerability as well. And I think that's because they included older Nexus devices that fall outside of the, hmm. the scope the, of Google the, support, the like, like the Galaxy Nexus, for example, mm-hmm. which doesn't get updates mm-hmm. anymore. So, and, and that's really what, what was going to be my question was, is it the software and hardware just in general? 
or is it people's use of the software and hardware is not not it's not, not thoughtful? It's not receiving the right updates. Yeah. So okay. Brian could probably speak better about stuff. So what is this? Is Stage Fright? Do you need a Google Play Services update to patch Stage Fright, or is that a total? Operating system See, update. I think I think stage fights actually going to be a full yeah. That, that's that's what update. I gathered from it as and, well, but I wasn't one hundred. And see, that's sure. where it starts to get tricky, right? So actually, Google has started rolling security patches once a month, where they're sending updates out to all Nexus devices. In the newer updates, they even have a spot in settings that says like, "Last security patch was this date," mm-hmm. separate from your OS level, hmm. right? Um, the problem is, is getting that trickled down through the OEMs. Mm-hmm. Right. That so, is that is the biggest problem Google faces. I mean, between OEMs and carriers, I mean, that's and those are some yep. brick walls right there. So I know that it would be uh, the carriers are a big a big hurdle to this, but like with Microsoft is dealing with Windows 10 Mobile, I I feel like why hasn't Google done this? Because what Microsoft is going to do is they're going to once Windows 10 Mobile's on the phone, which means you either have to get that update, which would still require you know, the update for your carrier or whatever, or if you buy a phone with Windows 10 Mobile, once you have Windows 10 Mobile on your phone, Microsoft pushes the updates just like Apple does. Mm -hmm. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about the carriers, you don't have to worry about the OEMs. And I mean, that's the way it's always been with PCs. You don't -hmm. don't wait until HP releases Windows XP Service Pack 2. You just go download it from Windows Update. Yeah. So why is Google not doing that? It's what I don't understand. You know... I mean, there's I no think, right answer, but I, <laughs> so it's, it's, I think I think the main reason is is due to the fact that all these manufacturers are building in, you know, their skins and, and all yeah. their apps and all these things, and they're building them into the actual ROM itself. It's built in from Those the ground jerks. up. Yeah, <laughs> instead of it being you know an add-on mm-hmm. on top of the OS where, you know, Google would then update mm-hmm. the OS and then they cannot see. Then you got compa- compatibilities with these things that you have to worry right. about. You have ten different ones across eight different manufacturers. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you even... Well, it, it seems like they could make some kind of like layer or API where they could say, okay, you guys tie into this and we'll update the the underpinnings of this and you can do whatever you want over the top. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what they've done with uh, Google Play services in all reality. Yeah, right? no, so... you're right. But for with the rest of the operating system too, they, I mean, they've got to do something because that, right. that is really one of the most broken pieces of Android. Other than Agreed. that... I can't really think of anything really bad to say about Android. Right. Now, I will say, you know, that's, unfortunately, that is the reason I buy Nexus. Right. You know, it's, yeah. It's one of the reasons I buy Nexus. So, so. Um, the university released an AndroidVulnerabilities.org site, and actually right at the top list of being the best or most secure Android devices is Nexus. Mm-hmm. Followed by LG, Motorola, wow. Samsung. Samsung. And now, bottom of the pack. And now we start going into the really bad where Sony, <laughs> HTC, HTC, Asus, Walton? Alps. I have never heard of Walton. <laughs> it's Walton. Yeah, I, think, um, I think those Symphony, may be, I haven't heard Alps. I have heard see, of, but. Those may be overseas, like maybe Indian yeah. manufacturers or, or Chinese um, manufacturers or something. Yeah. I see Motorola and Samsung and LG and all pushing updates, but it always seems like. People are always waiting for, like, so the Moto X Pure Edition has the update, and then, you know, five months later, AT and T pushes the update for yeah. the same device, but it's not people without the Pure Edition phone. Well, and I don't know if you saw this, but for Marshmallow Android 6.0, they Motorola actually announced that only the Pure Edition 2014 Moto X is even getting it. Hmm. So that's, they're not even giving it to the AT and T or the Verizon one, and yeah. I mean, that's everyone who bought a phone a, a year ago, not even a year ago. 
all frustrated now because a phone they purchased isn't going to get the next yep. update. Mm. So, so the the takeaway here is buy the Nexus. Buy phones. Nexus if you're going to buy Android. If you're buy, buy Nexus. Android, yeah. yeah, Nexus. I mean, and they've they've and the, they've you know Google has with the Nexus line has come out with some really good phones. So, I mean, yeah. if I was going to buy an Android phone, it would be a Nexus. In right. Fact, sometimes I oh, actually think too. about it, but no. I think me too because but whenever I switched to Android earlier this year, I bought a Moto X and and I was waiting for the Android 5.1 update for like three months really? or two months or whatever it was. Hmm. And I was like, man, this this is no fun because it would have fixed some performance issues I was having. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Can you still buy the, Nex- the Nexus? The is relatively inexpensive. inexpensive. I mean, and the, you buy them unlocked. So, yeah, so they're all unlocked. Um, yeah. They are only selling them through Google and through the manufacturers now. They're mm-hmm. no longer. So for the Nexus 6 they and the Nexus 5, they went through the carriers a little bit. Yeah. Um, they're not doing that anymore. They're done. Another question so. I have is um, with now today's SIM chips, can you just move it back and forth? Uh, we, there were some questions sure. I had about yeah. that a while back. It's like, uh, can you move the SIM? Mm-hmm. And AT- when, a while back, the AT&T person was like, no, there's some issues with the I- IEME and the, IMEI. Yeah, the, so, um, and data, your data plan. I was like, oh, that kind of. So initially, when you know when iPhone first came out, they had separate data plans for iPhones mm-hmm. versus any other phone. Yeah, that's really not the case anymore. They're all the same. Uh, after you put a SIM card into a phone, it'll read the IMEI mm-hmm. and it'll register what device it's inside of. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not. That's what I've done. I don't. I. I... I basically just swap the SIM card out when yeah. I get a new phone. I don't feel like activating it or whatever they make you do. I just pop it in. Yeah, because I really I, – there, there are times I think about going – because I – you know, it, Brian's heard me talk about this probably a million times. But, you know, I want to go get an Android phone and have both because I don't want to mm-hmm. carry two phones. Yeah. Uh, so the ability of just to pop the SIM out back and forth is really nice. So Great. Anyway. So um, moving on from our security discussion on to emails and encryption. We actually have another email today. Uh, you can email us at podcast at venue.com. We'll answer all of your questions. Um, the email comes in. Uh, let's see here. Um, basically, um, they'd like us to give a brief rundown of uh, solutions available in today's market um, to help people encrypt or virtual encrypt their virtualized and or physical servers. So this is an enterprise question. Yeah. Uh, on so enterprise encryption, what are what are the yeah, options so, basically? So there's the ones that I've been looking at. Uh, there's two companies that I'm really impressed with. One is called Vormetrics, and they make an encryption software. Basically, it's an, an appliance. Uh, it can be physical or 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 or, um, or virtual, and it basically is a key management system. Uh, but also, it allows you to encrypt VMs, VMs or uh, data on a disk. Um, that's a really cool thing because you can actually, the, it's not like using BitLocker where it's encrypting the entire disk. You can actually just encrypt the folder and the bits, the, the actual logical data inside the operating system is encrypted. So if you have a text file, that text file is encrypted. Um, and then what's really cool about that software is you can have permissions or encryption tied to Active Directory or if you have a LDAP or whatever. And you can actually grant permissions to certain people to see that encrypted data. So you can do things like, hey, I just want to encrypt credit card numbers or social security numbers. And you can have that as a, as a global policy uh, that the encryption software will then encrypt. And then you can have um, the users who need access to get access. You can even do cool. the same thing with databases. Uh, the Vormetrics tool actually 
can encrypt the database and actually down to the table level where I'm saying I want these tables to be read by uh, these users and these tables not. It's a very powerful product. It's also very, um, you know, you have to really want to use it, meaning mm -hmm. it's very difficult to get to, to get it completely set up because it's a lot of moving pieces and that you have to really think about your security uh, profile, you know, what you're trying to do. It's a great software. I recommend it to people, but it, it does take some time to get set up and kind of get in use. So, there's Will, also, doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't this come with a performance hit? Or, or is I it was not just that? about okay. to okay. say. I was yeah. just about to say, yeah. <laughs> any, so I will say this. Any encryption tool that actively encrypts data and keeps data encrypted will take a performance. There's a performance overhead. It's right. just it, it's the nature of the beast. Um, How bad is it, though? Well, so in a, on a good day, <laughs> and if you're using the least impactful software, it's a, it's less than a double digit uh, hit. So you're looking at anywhere between, you know, five percent and ten percent. Oh, well, yeah. that's not too bad. Um, that's the least, you know, so, that yeah. we're talking about. Like if you're using BitLocker, mm -hmm. if you're using anything else, and depending on how high your encryption's going, then you're going to take could take significant uh, hits on performance. But you are encrypted, and if you're if you're right. if you're needing to do this for compliancy, right? It's something you have to just say. Look, yeah. I mean, if it's not an option, you got to do it. Yeah, I need more servers. I need more. I need to put more RAM and CPU in these boxes, and you kind of right. have to bend to that thing, um, that requirement. If you don't, yep. well, it's bad for you. The other tool that I've that I've been looking at that I really like, actually, I like it. Um, a lot is one called CloudLink. It's actually owned by EMC. EMC acquired them huh. several, you know, I guess months ago. And now it's owned by Dell. And now it's owned by Dell. Dude, you're getting a Dell. Um, <laughs> but um, what's it? It differs in that it doesn't encrypt the data on disk. It actually encrypts the entire logical drive. Now it has to be a VM. It has to be a virtual server. Now it doesn't yeah. have to be a VMware VM. It can be a Hyper-V. It can actually do be in um, Azure. Cloud, it can be in vCloud Director, it can be in AWS, because as long as it's a VM, uh, then it can be installed. And the way this works is it's still an appliance, a virtual appliance that runs uh, in, in some environment, some cloud. So what CloudLink does is uh, it encrypts, again, at the logical drive layer. And it uses the BitLocker technology. So what you do is you deploy the CloudLink appliance. It manages the keys and encryption keys and, 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 and profile of the VMs that you're um, booting up. And then what it does is it installs a small boot loader right before the operating system boots. And the boot loader actually comes online, registers with the appliance, and then decides, hey, this, this machine is meeting the right keys, go ahead and boot. You know, the keys are consistent, go ahead and boot. You can also have it to where um, you can have it to where you have to manually acknowledge the machine booting. So you actually power on your VM, and the VM will actually hold in a state that says, hey, I'm not going to allow boot till someone on the CloudLink appliance approves this machine to boot. Really cool technology, yeah. and it does keep the data encrypted and gives you a little bit different security. So you're wow. talking about two different kinds of encryption, full disk encryption and yes. like file-level encryption. So right. uh, tying into my question earlier, is one of those faster than the other one? Yes. So when you, whenever you encrypt the entire drive, um, it's doing that as a full entity. 
mm-hmm. and typically you're not having permissions of you know what users can read this data, what users can read that data. It's just doing it at a general logical level. So level. If, you, if you need encryption and you want the full amount of, if you want you want the most speed you can get out of it, you should go full disk encryption. Right. Okay. Right. And if you're trying to do really granular stuff, then you're going to have to take the hit and go with something like Avormetrics that gives you that flexibility. Okay. And, and, and in the end, really, it, it depends on what your compliance needs are. If you just have to check that mark that says, look, I need, I'm, I need to be compliant, I need to have encryption, go with the simplest, easiest technology that you can that will make you secure. If you have to have that deep you know the the, the the deep flexibility. Go with something that now something like Vormetric. It'll do all different kinds. So it'll do a full disk, or it'll do down to the granular file level. It does, but it does it the disk at a folder level instead of okay. a logical right, yeah. drive level. Okay. Right, yeah. So it sees the C drive as a, as a folder, and then everything underneath under there. It's almost as a shared drive or it, a shared disk. It is, yeah, deal. yeah. But anyway, um, you know that that's that's kind of my take on enterprise encryption, and we're looking at things like this in, in the Venue Labs, and uh, I actually was um, evaluating both products. Great. Uh, so I have firsthand you know knowledge of both of these. So cool, fantastic. Well, I hope um, I hope that was helpful to our to our email sender, um, and because of this email, that's that's kind of what inspired our topic, and and we're going to start off going over security kind of 101 um, in, in a consumer type space. Um, and we're going to hit up just kind of on basic kind of security that you're going to want on uh, on all of your electronic devices, starting with passwords. And I know um, my password on everything is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Mm, you're going to have a bad and time. And I was just wondering if that was something that we need to change. Mine is just my first name. <laughs> So is that P H or F or my, my password is the word F I L F I L my my password is the word incorrect because when I type it in wrong it says your password is incorrect oh, see yeah, got yeah, it, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. so yeah so we're gonna go over some basics of security starting with passwords what what should a password be what are good passwords um, so passwords are tricky. Right, mm-hmm. so you need to make sure you're doing a password that doesn't make any sense. No, not really. But first of all, I, I don't recommend actually putting passwords that you know, and I don't recommend using the same password for multiple sites. So, so mm-hmm. hang on, how do you use a password that you don't know? Uh, so, so there are there are <laughs> tools out there. there. <laughs> uh, so there's password managers, uh, LastPass, uh, One Password. Mm-hmm. Um, key pass. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's literally like, you know, probably hundreds of these things out there. Uh, depending on how you want to do it, if you want to do it cloud-based, you want to do it local only, you want to do, you know, any kind of sharing between mobile devices, whatnot. Um, there's different tools that will allow you to basically generate random passwords for websites. So mm-hmm. when you generate a password, it's for that site only. And then the next site you go to, you generate a new password. Mm-hmm. And so that way you have to remember one password. Now, that password still needs to be secure, right? Just the password for LastPass. Just or, the password yeah. for pass the password or whatever. tool. But so yeah. the nice thing is they actually offer, you know, fingerprint scanning now. Yeah. Uh, so you can actually use, you know, once you have that password typed in, you can use some kind of, you know, biometrics so you don't have to type the password in every time. Yeah. Cool. You still have to set a... I still think it's good to set a uh, a password that can be entered through a key, you know, keystroke on the device. Mm-hmm. The thing is you need to keep that password secure. 
So as Brian was saying, yeah, one password is really the way to go. You type it in. And, you know, for me, just recently, I went and changed a bunch of passwords. I um, I went in and, you know, on my one password app, because that's what I use. <clears throat> I probably shouldn't be saying that, but I am. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Um, I w- you know, I added the fingerprint scanner. But then I went in and did an extremely long password that typically mm-hmm. I won't be able to type if I had my phone. Yeah. And then I went and rolled that password down, yeah. put it in our um, you know, our, our lockbox fire safe. What's in the, the house. key to that lockbox, Will? It's a yeah, physical dude. key. I went old school. Where do you keep that? I keep it in a secure layer. <laughs> anyway, so you know, if you do forget that, you know, if you have amnesia, you check his dog's crate. If you <laughs> if you have amnesia or something, you know, you have to have someone to say, hey, you know, I know yeah. where this is. I'm going to get the password so I can check our email now. Um. But yeah, you, you yeah. The, these two, it's too easy now not to have really good password, you know, encryption and 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 hard passwords to make every site unique and mm-hmm. lower the probability of of a hack. So what about um what about dual factor authentication? I love it. That's I use that all the time. Yes, so, I have I have it so, on Google and anywhere so, that'll offer it. So, so tell j- us what tell us what two factor two factor authentication really is. So two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, you know, 2FA, MFA, uh, I guess you said dual or whatever you said. Dual, whatever. Something. Um, So what that is What's the proper term for it? So MFA is actually what it is. MFA, okay. So multi-factor authentication because you can either use – so anyway, let's let's explain it real quick and then I'll talk about how you can use it, right? Fantastic, yes. So it's a matter of putting a password in and then after you put a password in, it prompts you for a code that – automatically regenerates every, well, I think, 30 seconds. So you have to have a device that, some kind of device, whether it's a hardware device, um, they even make, you know, USB, uh, you know, little adapters that have to be plugged in in order for you to be able to authenticate, or they make uh, apps where, you know, it has different, you know, the different sites scrolling through. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually what I use. I use one called Authy. Um, and what that is is you can you know put all your your two factor authentication sites in there, oh, wow. and you know in one pane you could see all of them authenticates by your thumbprint cool. right to get into it. So mm-hmm. oh, that's LastPass. <laughs> they're, they're both red icons. It gets confusing. Um, and so you know with this it, it allows you to have an extra set of security. Um, so that if someone was to get your password, let's say you used an, an easier password than you should have. Well, they type that password in, they're like, yeah, I'm going to get into this guy's stuff. And then they're like, oh, no, crap, There's you have to get this code. Yeah. You know? And they don't have a really way to get that code unless they have your phone and your finger that they chopped off or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, so that, what was that app called again? It's Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. A-U-T-H-Y. I'm going to download that. Yeah, I need to. I wouldn't mind looking at that, that right because um, I've always been a believer in two-factor or you know, two-factor authentication, but I always thought it was too hard and it was just a pain. I'd set up Twitter to do two-factor authentication once, and I didn't write down the code. It was when they were doing enhanced security, mm-hmm. and uh, I did something. I either forgot the code or... Uh, something happened and it was a pain to get back into an old account that I needed. Uh, my watch will lose account. And like I had to call Twitter and say, look, I'm really this person. I forgot <laughs> how I set this up. Can you please reset it for me? And literally it took him about three days and about five emails asking me questions about what I had done. And they said, okay, we, we know it's you. Here's your, here's your, um, here's your, here's your account back. 
Dang. That was fun. Also, with uh, they also do, t- um, sorry, multi-factor authentication using like text messages or yeah, you know, so yeah, emails. Some places or, aren't actually you know available through that app. Yeah. For example, Twitter is one that requires you to do it through text message just because they don't have it built into an app, hopefully yet being the keyword. Uh, there's a couple other ones out there that, that don't require, you know, they text you the code. Mm-hmm. That's all fine and dandy, but if somebody has your phone, I mean, you're going to get a text message on your lock screen, then they're going to get in. You yeah. Know, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's not as secure, in my opinion. But they also generate, you know, some secure backup codes for you whenever you do set up multi-factor authentication. Save those in, uh, you know, Will's lockbox with that where he keeps his key and his yep. dog's crate. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I don't talking about that. I don't leave my. I take my SMS, my SMS messages don't preview on the home screen. So if it right. popped up, it, they'll just say, "Hey, message from whoever." They'd have to unlock the phone to get in. Now, and uh, and I absolutely think that if if you don't have message preview turned on, might be a good idea because if you're doing something like that where it email it sends you a message with a code or whatever, and someone does have your phone, they can they could they could get it that way. Yeah, it's, it's more it, inconvenient. I was about but to say, it's, it's, it's a secure. matter of balancing it security and convenience. I mean, these days you just look at your watch for the message. So this is you true. Don't even need your phone. But if they stole my phone, didn't steal my watch. If they you stole know. your phone, they're still on your watch. That's right. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for passwords, you want to get a password manager like LastPass. And yeah, some, one of them, you know, whichever one you prefer. I if, my choice is one password. I've been using it forever. Uh, I actually used it before they had cloud sync, and I was just syncing it. Literally, I would go onto my home Wi-Fi. My device and my laptop had to be on the same Wi-Fi. I had a token that had to get up, and it would transfer that mm-hmm. way. Since I'm since then, I've moved to a cloud-based solution, and the only reason is is because I have such a hard password on the database file, the password database file, that you know, if someone were to even compromise the file, they'd have a password, you know, yay long to decrypt. So <laughs> this way, it's 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 kept up to date on my Mac. By the way, yay is about four feet. Just in case, yeah, four foot password. Oh wow, okay. Um, Yay is the encryption. Well, no, that's he was holding his hands up and he said it's about yay long. Got it. So got it. All right. So so SSL encryption. Yeah, SSL encryption. I mean, that's that's one of the easiest ones to to kind of be aware of. Uh, Mainly just when you're browsing the web, you know, checking for that little green pretty lock and the HTTPS, uh, just to kind of. Yep. Make sure you're secure if you're doing any kind of financial or anything yeah. that you know you want to be protected. <laughs> there was one time I had a problem with Bank of America, and I logged in and it wasn't secure. And I went, "What the hell?" So I called them, and I said, "Listen, I'm trying to log into the site, and before I log in, uh, it shows that the certificate's expired, and the technical support service said, you know, can you wait a few hours?'" <laughs> uh, wow. We let it expire. Or it was something. I don't know if it was Bank of America. You know. So I was like, okay, so it is. This is the this is your site, right? And I was like, yeah. So, um, so you put in your password anyway. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> as long as I know it's you, I can get it. Uh, these things, these things don't happen. Cares from middleman. These right? things yeah, don't happen. Cares. These things don't happen often when, um, mm-hmm. when, uh, when they happen. But they Google's happen. been making it easier if you use Chrome to be able to tell if a security mm-hmm. certificate is either mm-hmm. bad or using uh, what is it, an older, uh, the older hash. Yeah. Yeah. I got a question for you guys. This is an Apple question. I've tried to uh, adopt Safari in my day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't. 
I, I, I Google is Google Chrome is the best browser across platforms. Unless Especially, you like battery life. Unless well, you're trying, huh? <laughs> unless you well, like battery life. Well, I know, but I mean, I charge my device, so it's now on the on the phone. But on the phone, I'm still using Safari. I'm not yeah, yeah. using Google Chrome. Do you guys use Chrome on the on the mobile or Safari? I use Safari <clears> on mobile. I use varying browsers depending on what I'm using. I use Chrome. Well, I use Chrome on Android. Obviously, well, obviously, but, yeah. And I, I use Chrome for a couple things. If it's something that's signed into my Google account, for example, right, right. Uh, I'll use Chrome for that because it's easier than having to type it in and yeah. get my two-factor code. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, but like I was saying, I, I'd been using, ever since Al Capitan released, I'd been using, I'd been trying to use Safari and like, okay, I'm going to try to really, you know, give it a chance. And I just, it's it's done. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, Apple has tried to make Safari, and they, they're making advances, but not significant enough for me to ditch Google mm-hmm. Chrome. Yep. Wow. This is off topic, but. Yeah. So, key point is just be aware when you're surfing the internet, if you're doing something that you don't want people to know about, take a look. Wow. Well, if you're if, if you're inputting you're putting, sensitive information, yes. If you're dealing with sensitive information, <laughs> it's not incognito mode. Uh, <laughs> uh, check at the top left hand corner of your screen. There should be a little lock, a little green lock, and it should say HTTPS. Right. Mm-hmm. Without the S, means it's not secure. Correct. That's not right. encrypted. Yep. Right. Great. But uh, depending just on the to browser. add to that though, <laughs> yeah. just because you're just because you're encrypted from your browser to the company you're talking to doesn't mean that they are keeping your data safe. Yes. Right. So this is like, hey, no, if so, if someone's sitting in a coffee shop next to me uh, and I'm going to my financial data, doesn't mean that the person, you know, it'll protect me from the person next door who's maybe sniffing a network and mm-hmm. looking for passwords. It doesn't protect you from the people who are running the site to keep it right. So, So what happens if a site like that does get hacked? Well, it depends which uh, it depends on what information leaks. What can so, what can you do there? I mean, what's the deal? So, for, if a password gets hacked, clearly you want to change your password, right? Uh, if it, and that's a, a lot of what gets released whenever they have these data dumps of hacked sites. It's like passwords and uh, uh, email addresses or purchase histories or whatever. Uh, of course, the most important thing that you don't want to get leaked is your social security number because that's the thing that. Uh, people can use to steal your identity. It's really yeah. hard to recover Can't change from. That. Yeah, that, if if your social security number leaks, you need some kind of credit monitoring. You might want to put a freeze in your accounts, mm-hmm. pull your credit reports every once every once in a while, <clears throat> which is free from each of the major credit bureaus once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the other things that typically can leak, which is which are bad, quote unquote, would be payment information. And yeah. payment information can be good or bad. Um, if it's your credit card that leaks, it's really not that big of a deal. And I said that in a previous podcast without really explaining it. But the the reason there is because uh, you're not liable for unauthorized charges on your credit card. So even if somebody gets your credit card number and goes and buys a new MacBook, you can just call up. If the credit card company flags it, they'll just be like, hey, uh, there's this weird charge in your card. It doesn't seem right. Is this you? And you just be like, no. Or if they don't notice and they don't flag it, you can just call them up and say, hey, this is an unauthorized charge. Uh, and they'll be like, cool, we'll take it off. They'll send you a new card, and this is all free. Mm-hmm. So it really just it, it really just doesn't affect you for a credit card. Um, now, if it's a debit card, on the other hand, they could potentially drain your bank account first. And mm-hmm. then if the bank takes a couple days to recover that for you, 
you might have no money to eat or pay your bills. <laughs> so right. what you want to do online is use a credit card if you have one, not a debit card, hmm. or not not necessarily even online. Mm-hmm. Um, in, general. If, in general, basically, uh, credit cards typically have better benefits anyway. So if you have one, you should use that. Great, and, that, and that's uh, a more of a proactive thing than a reactive thing because it typically, if, if you already had a leaked debit card, then you know you're kind of already screwed. But yeah, <laughs> and I was just checking my credit score. Uh, so if you use, if you, there's a company called Credit Karma that I've been using for a while, and um, you can sign up with it for free, and it's actually a free service mm-hmm. that um, that you can use to monitor monitor your TransUnion and your Equifax. No, I don't score. think I don't think they give your actual credit score. No, it's it's, it's, it's what it's yeah. called a FACO score, and there's there's like a lots of different kind of credit scores that you can get, but the the main one is called a FICO score, right? And um, that's only available from I think the site is myfico.com. Yes, it is. And uh, so what what Credit Karma does is they they use a lot of similar algorithms to try to come up with what they think is your your FICO score, and the the community basically calls that a FACO score. Mm. It's, it's, a pretty FICO. Cl- it's pretty close, yeah, though. It, it's, I, it's typically somewhat close. Yeah. I used that when I, was, uh, when I was getting ready to buy my house, and as I would pay, you know, before we closed and while we were getting ready to purchase, uh, I would actually watch my credit score go up as I would pay down credit cards hmm. and kind of get things the way I wanted to. And then your house posted. And then my house posted. <laughs> actually, actually, it has not. Actually, that has not affected my credit as much as I would have thought. No. Nope. Yeah, what affected? What have, What has affected my credit was I bought a refrigerator. I bought a um, television. Well, if, <laughs> so, so if, if they do a hard pull for each of those things, it'll drop your score a little bit. But whenever you open a new line of credit, it actually increases the total amount of credit you have. So your debt to credit ratio goes down, which actually improves your score. So that's why if some people open a new credit card and their score goes up rather than dropping. Yeah. No, like yeah. I said, when I, when I bought my TV, I just put it on a credit card. Yeah. So, you know, whenever you drive up your credit, it, it affects yeah. your credit rating. This has nothing to do with security. Right. Probably no, it not. does. It, <laughs> so, but it, but it's interesting conversation, right? So this is the new show that we're going to be starting. Finance with Phil. Finance, Finance with Phil. That would be a great podcast. I don't think I'm qualified. For that. Oh, dude, dude, you're so qualified. F-I-L. You know all the ins and outs of like purchasing and bottom, working the system. You know how to buy things. The bottom line <laughs> is if is if you are going to go online and buy things online, you want to use a credit card, right? You because use you card. don't have that that potential to get your bank account drained. Right, yep. exactly. Great. So um, that was a fantastic show. We're going to go ahead and close it out. Um, we love our ratings and reviews on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher as well. You can go find us on Stitcher. Um, we do have a podcast, or we do have a podcast email. We have a podcast? We have a podcast. <laughs> We're on it right now. And we have an email. Uh, what's the email, Brian? I think it's podcast at venue.com fantastic you VNYU. thanks Brian thanks <laughs> nope, that would be Brian so. and Phil I'm getting confused <laughs> um, leave comments on our blog at takethenexttern.com check us out on the internet interwebs at uh, www.venue.com and we'll see you next week <laughs>